So welcome everyone. We're gonna get this out of the gate because I'm so excited to uh, speak with Alessandra tonight, of course, about her journey and what she's done to really just take the steps in her life to really continue to push forward to, to just make the traction that she was looking for. And that road really started uh, just slightly over a year ago when, when she moved out to Tennessee, but there was a lot of decisions and action taken before that. So Alessandra, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and also from there, talk about you and your journey and what you were doing in your past and what led you to have the thought that, you know what, maybe I'm going to make some change in my life and move forward. Yeah. So hello, I'm Alessandra. Um, I've been in the multifamily space for yeah a little bit over a year. My week anniversary was last year, but I was educating myself a little bit. It just wasn't until I took that action that I really started to just dive deeper. But um, I'm originally from California, Los Angeles, and I was previously working a marketing job about two years ago. And it wasn't until COVID hit and we went remote that I just decided that I wasn't happy in the nine to five life of just commuting in Los Angeles of driving like two hours every single day to and from. So like four hours in the car. And I was just extremely unhappy. And I just realized that I needed to make a change. And it wasn't until COVID happened and we went remote that I was just like, okay, I finally have this time and this peace with myself to be like, what do I want with my life and how am I going to get there? And um, a, like a huge impact on my life that got me started into this is just to create like time, geographical and financial freedom, because it's something that is super important to me just to be able to support those around me. But also I lost my dad when I was 22. And that was very heartbreaking for me to see him working until the day he passed away. And I just, he wasn't able to spend enough time with us. And he was always worried about finances with three kids. And I just, it was something that I didn't want to have for my, my own life. And so I started to just look into different ways that I could get started. And I looked into the stock market. I looked into drop shipping, like selling stuff, like everything. And it wasn't until I found real estate that I thought that it was something that I could, it was a tangible thing that I could do. And um, so when COVID happened, I ended up doing a few things before then. So I was working my marketing job remote and then I moved to Florida where my brother was living and I did these door-to-door -door sales and I was making um, some good money there. I was working two jobs. And finally, when summer ended after the summer sales, I just decided like, okay, I can finally get into the real estate. I thought, oh, you need to have a lot of money to get into real estate. And I wanted to just buy a duplex and I was going to put money into a home. And I just realized like, that's not really replacing the W-2. That's not replacing my income. It'll just be something small, but it's not scalable. And then um, that's when I found multifamily and I found Clubhouse, the app where everyone was just speaking on different topics such as real estate. And I started joining rooms. I started to find mentors. I started to reach out to different people and asking them questions, not being afraid to ask a silly question. And I was able to just finally meet Jason and Peely. And they told me if I was ever in Nashville to let them know and they'd have a cup of coffee with me. And I just decided to uproot my life and just move over there and just be like, if I can't, like it's the worst that can happen is that I move back home, I drive back home. And I just decided to take that action and take that risk that if it didn't work out, then it's not gonna be the end of the world. I'll find another way. But it ended up just starting my career and launching it into this 
entire world that I didn't even know existed that I I love and it's very challenging to get let me, to. Let me, let me pause yeah. you there because you just gave us so much to unpack, right? Yeah. And it's just an amazing story, but we don't want to gloss over all the big decisions yeah. you've made, which are just pinnacle moments, right? And so you're in your career, right? You're in traffic, you know, you're heading to work, you're understanding you don't like it. Was there, was there a moment where you're just like enough? Right. Because many times in life, we, we have a point where we just just continue to like endure, especially when we just don't like the moment. So what was that pinnacle moment and where was the deciding factor? You said enough's enough. I'm making a change. I think it was honestly driving through the traffic. Like sometimes it would take me two and a half hours to go nine miles and I was losing my mind. I wasn't and I could feel it like physically stressing me out as well as mentally, where I was just like, I'm not even enjoying what I'm doing I'm also just like feeling like this, I don't even know, like not moving along or growing in my career. I'm just doing this to do it. And on the weekends, I'd probably just fill it up with something that I didn't even enjoy either, just to go along with what was going on in society at my age, being like 23, 24. And then I didn't really enjoy that either. And I think I was just living this nonstop routine that I that wasn't for me until I realized like when COVID I I genuinely did not see a single person for four months I just lived alone and I got my priorities in order and I just decided like this is not how I want to live my life and I think it was when I was in traffic where I I probably just screamed like because it was just so unbearable to drive through it and now that I live in Nashville I just when people complain about the traffic I'm like this is nothing this is great (laughs) so you have those moments right you decide to make the change and you start looking around at what's in front of you. What was it about real estate? Because you looked at stock markets, you looked at buying a home, right? And, and you you found yourself in the multifamily, which usually in the front part, most start, right? Oh, I have to wholesale or I have to flip. What was it that you said, all of that doesn't work for me? What were the elements there that really detailed out that I, I'm just going go to go into multifamily? Yeah, I think it was for one, the duplex where I was like, okay, I just, I have this capital and I want to place it somewhere, but it's going to get rid of it. And then I'm going to have this rental income, but I'm still going to have to pay all these expenses. And then I'm really just going to make a smaller profit off of that. And it's not replacing my W-2. And then the flipping, it just, I wasn't experienced enough and I didn't know enough. And I, I think it was just a little bit even busier than my, my current marketing job. So I was just like, okay, well, that's when multifamily clicked is that you're, you know, I have to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. What I love about that is that I'm not experienced enough. And right. And so this is the mindset. It was like, I'm not experienced enough to do flipping. So I'm just going to go buy large apartment buildings. Right. I and I, I love that because that yeah. just says the narrative of just like, you just say, okay, well, what's next. Right. But it's just one of those pinnacle moments is that you, you found a point like, okay, I'm not going to do that, but you go into something else and you don't even think in your mind that I'm going into something yeah. even bigger which is awesome. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but it just seemed um, like I like spreadsheets. I like numbers and something that I would be able to provide value for another group to maybe find a way in would be just to start by underwriting. And so I, it was something that really clicked for me able to just being able to like analyze a property, look what goes into it, see what's a typical expenses. And then also just the syndication model of just being like, you don't have to have a lot of money to get started. That's one thing, but also there, it's not a, just a single person's business. Like you're in a partnership, so you could form partnerships from different meetup groups or mentorship groups or just 
like how I did just meeting you guys, like, I think that you're just not alone. It's a relationship business, but also it just really clicked for me of just being able to like, okay, so I can get on the phone with brokers. I can speak to property managers. I know how to run these numbers out. I can figure out what the market I'm looking at needs to just get this completed. And then I can provide value and partner up with a different group or someone out there that's maybe experienced or get looking to get into it as well. Now the meetups, right? So this leads you to Clubhouse. Clubhouse for this, it's a it's a talk platform. If anyone's not familiar with it, um, you know, now you have Twitter space and other points, but at the moment, right around COVID, in that moment, it got really popular around that November of December, going back to 2020, right? And there was a lot of rooms opening up, a lot of real estate rooms. The, the, having access to be able to hear people and communicate people, did that give you the empowerment to just understand better your journey? Or what was it about Clubhouse that, that helped engage or any social platform that helped give you the, the stepping stone or the stepping stool to your next piece of your um, pipeline? I think it just gave me the opportunity to just be in a room with a ton of people, especially during COVID. You couldn't go to conferences. I probably would have never even thought to go to a conference. And so I was able to have that access point, but also it just felt really personable where I was up on a stage with someone else and they're giving me specific advice. And every time I heard something that I uh, was able to get value from, or I just enjoyed the way that they spoke, or they were able to just give some sort of guidance or step-by-step process of like how you can do it too. I started to just find them, reach out to them on social media, set up calls. And I definitely didn't know as much as I knew back then. And I would just ask every question under the sun of like, what is this? What is this financial sheet? What is like just asking them, piecing the, putting all the pieces together to just like form what I could just put out there for myself And so I think that just being able to network with so many people that I'm still really, I still keep in touch with today because they're just rooting for my like progress and my success. And they just remember like, oh, I remember when you were doing this and asking about this. And now I'm just like, this is what I did last week. And it's just been great to just talk to other people. And so I think that's where the value lies and just like in meetup groups or just meeting different operators or just meeting people that are also looking to get started and where you are, because you never know what sort of, like what type of resources they have and what just the research they've done on their specific markets or if they're maybe have a construction background like it's just you never know until you just start talking to people you know the willingness to ask about the unknown is is just it's so understated because in most points in most of the room is like i hope someone else asks that question because i don't want to look silly asking that question yeah. Right? But, the, but the people that ask get themselves to that position of empowerment, right? Because you're asking the questions that can specifically help you and people want to help. I think we get lost in the, the narrative that everybody wants us to lose. And it's not true, right? We, we all want to help. We all want to help. And, and you're an exact example of that is that we, we want to see you win. The people around you want to see you win, right? And you asking questions and it's when someone asks a question and then uses it. Right. And so, so many times um, the question will get asked and at the same time, the information won't get used. Right now. And you've put that basically into work and saying, okay, let me go try this out and see what happens. And what's the worst that happens. Right. Just like you said, you move back home. Right. And so the action piece of the puzzle move back home. How did you find underwriting as your, I would say core interest or what was it about that side of it? that really stood out to you because lots of times that that's all 
right? People come in and, you know, from where your background was to where you were going here, usually the underwriting component is, is almost like a foreign object to people. And they, they veer away from it and try and do some, one of the other pieces that, that seems a little more approachable. What was it about the underwriting even today? Yeah, I just, I love numbers. I love the analytics. I love like objective answers. Like for me, like I'd say my hardest part in this industry is probably investor relations and talking to a lot of people. But like, if you put me behind an operations role, I'll get it sorted. I'll have the numbers in place. And so I think that, I think that was just the way my brain worked. And it, it, I didn't even really think twice about it. I was just like, oh, this is kind of fun. So <laughs> And the good news is you've put yourself in a position today where you've had so many conversations now that you're finding the operation side even easier, right? Yeah. And so all the pieces. So talk to now, fast forward, you're here, you've been, you've been active with us for, for a year now, just doing a ton of amazing things. Talk to us more about the roles and, and what you've grown into today and, and some of the projects you're working on, some of the projects now, now as an owner that you're working on. Um, give us that narrative so people can understand the full circle of what your actions have entailed. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to start just by saying like it was challenging at first when I started, but I think that being able to just understand that it takes time and it takes just being adaptable and making mistakes and just embracing that discomfort through it and just not giving up is just the number one thing. That's what I'd like to start with, because I think that I, there are so many times where I'm like, I don't know the answer to this, or I think through experience, that's what helped me build and just being able to just be on site with you guys. But now I started underwriting properties and then I like to move more into like an asset manager role, which before, if you could have seen me, like I could not like speaking to a contractor, I was like, what are you saying to me right now? And I think it just comes through having the conversations and doing your own due diligence on the side. But now I'm on the phone with a lot of different contractors. I'm speaking to our property management probably daily. I probably talks about the property manager more than anyone in this world. <laughs> um, and then just being able to do a lot of the looking at the due diligence. So all the information and documents that we need to just get a property going. But yeah, that's, that's the rough outline of everything. <laughs> Break down a property, what you're doing now. So you see an opportunity that you like, or you see something that sounds attractive to you. What are some of the steps you're taking to get better informed about the property, to just understand it better, whether it's the market or the property itself, and how you're putting that package together to see if this is a viable property you want to make an offer on? Yeah, so I'd start just by defining the criteria of what you're looking for. If it's what like type of unit size, um, what market specifically you want to be in, it's better to not just jump around everywhere because you really want to just get acclimated into where you want to be and really get to know the people and the players in the game. So like speaking to the different brokers, continuing to stay on to them and seeing what they have coming out and just being able to just have that conversation with them so they see that you're you're active in that market. And then just um, getting to know which areas would be the best to have a property, understanding like where the rents are, where the property taxes are, how often they're reassessing them. Um, I would just definitely find your property manager. I, I speak to a, different, a couple different companies just because those are going to be the people that you're going to be speaking to the most on of just understanding like how quickly the business plan can go into effect and how quickly they can lease the units, turn the units, and then what they can like honestly achieve on just getting the rents at, based on the comps around the market. Um, but for me, oh gosh, was that, I don't even know if that was the right answer to the question, but um, for right. a 
property that I would look for. Those are probably the steps that I would take and then just be able to underwrite it, but just really understanding what goes into it. Um, being able to go on site and tour the property with them to see just the condition of like the roofs or the plumbing or every single aspect that goes into it. Cause you never know what's going to be hiding. Like, especially the 36 unit that we had in little rock had a huge mold remediation issue that extended our closing. And it was just something that if we hadn't done the inspection, we would, we would have lost like 30, $35,000 just right then and there. So just being really clear on what goes into it. And then to get the process, I would just keep speaking to like sourcing different deals. It's just speaking to different brokers, um, speaking to people in the area, letting people know what you're doing. And especially like the 36 unit in Valley View in Little Rock, it was sourced through the lender just because he was from the market. And so just speaking to different contacts in your database to just see like where you could find a property or you never know what's really around the corner. How do you get people to take you seriously when you're first starting out, right? And you're trying to build your track record and you're on the younger side, right? So a lot of people are starting their journey and they're scared to make the call because they don't have the laurels yet behind them, right? So what did those conversations initially start with to get you comfortable, one, with the conversation, but also on the other side, make the other party confident? that you'd be a good team member to work with? I think just, even if I didn't always feel confident, I tried to act confident. And just, I also did a lot of research behind the scenes to be like, okay, if something gets brought up, I can at least like have a somewhat understanding about it, but also just not being afraid to say, I don't know the answer to this question. Let me get back to you. Like, I think that that was one of the biggest things that I took away from the beginning is that it's okay if you don't know all of the answers right now, it's not going to make or break anything. Um, it's just that you'll get back to them on that. And then um, just honestly, through experience, through different challenges, through failing, like it just over time, you start to understand that that's just what goes into it. And you don't even realize like, now I can go on site with five different contractors and just be able to speak to them. But it's just because I had to go through the motions, take like, just understand that that's how it was going to be, be patient and just keep learning along the way, asking a lot of questions. You know, when you do that, right. That the questions and part of um, act confident, but I don't want to gloss over that. You also did the prep work to put yourself in the best position, right? You're not going to know all the answers and you came understanding that, but you did do the homework, right? Instead of walking into a raw, like, oh, I hope I'll just kind of figure it out in the way you did research and whether it's on the part you're speaking to or some of the topics on hand, but that gives you the confidence, right? Doing, doing the background work to just understand the narrative, that gives you the confidence to have the conversation, right? Yeah. And so today with, with some of the roles, right? And you're an owner on the property in Little Rock here. And I remember the, the first day you had about six or seven contractors show up at the same time, right? Yeah. And what, what were some of the lessons learned from just figuring out asset management all at once? Um, I think just be more organized and maybe don't stack them all, all at once. But um, I think just being able to, like you said, do your homework before and just have like a game plan before you get there. Like if, like if this is where you need to be and maybe even showing them all at the same time, but like maybe not stacking them as much, but just doing your homework, I think it's the best and just don't get overwhelmed. <laughs> 
Good. I think the piece about don't go overwhelmed is great. I actually prefer to stack them because contractors are notorious for not showing up. And so I, in my first route, I would like stack them out like an hour, hour, you know, away from each other. And then they would just like two would miss. And all of a sudden you have a meeting at like 8am and then 11am and you'd be like, Oh, I'm just never doing this again. Yeah. Right. I like stacking the ones in the same industry, but if it's like different contract, like plumber and then electrician, you have to show them two different things and one's waiting on you. That's when I'm just like, okay, I need to space them out. <laughs> yeah, but exactly the point, right? So they're there to, to fulfill the job, just like when you're working with brokers. I think one of the biggest pieces here is that, you know, they they want you to be the right candidate. They want you to be the right fit. They want you to be the, the ideal buyer or ideal seller for the property, right? Because that, that's what they're there for, right? They're having a conversation. And so you can create that confidence, right? Not only bringing it from yourself, but asking good questions and then the follow-up, right? You're doing the steps and the steps showcase, right? Because you're making connections with people, right? You're now on short list for, for lead opportunities. You're now working with brokers directly that, that now have seen you, have seen yeah. your journey and what you're doing. And now it's, it's the confidence just continues to, to build upon each other, right? We were um, just out at Best Ever Conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, that was, I, I think, would be your first big in-person uh, conference, which was awesome, right? What were some of the lessons from just surrounding yourself with other like-minded minded people? I think it just showed that like most of all is that any, any of us could belong there. There's no like hierarchy. Everyone's looking to help each other. They're all looking to see what's the best resource. What's the best next step. Like everyone can learn from each other. It's not so much, I guess it's competitive, but it's also just very, it's a group effort at the same time. And then just being able to understand like how much um, what other people are doing to execute their own business plans and just getting tips from that has been super helpful. And then seeing just like where the market's heading, like what the market outlook is, that was great to just kind of get an understanding. Cause I know that a lot of us will look at stuff and just to have more of a background on just like what is going on, where are like lender, like the interest rates heading, what's inflation, how does inflation cause what's going to happen with the market. Like, I think it's just really helpful to also just get your background information on that. But meeting different people is just was helpful to understand that, like, I belong here just as much as everyone else. And so does everyone else that wants to just break into the industry. Yeah, it's incredible. And if there's one lesson I learned from Best Ever Conference, you're a superstar because uh, everybody heard you on Bigger Pockets, right? <laughs> and so, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, the pieces that now you speak to the narrative of some of the macro pieces that, that really pushed the drivers for multifamily. Some um, of the pieces that we actually just heard at the last conference was, you know, 2020 to 2030, uh, we need about on average, you know, 1.55 million homes per year. Right. And so that's about 15, 16 million homes over the course of that narrative. And we're only going to produce uh, about 11 million over that same time frame. Right. So that serves the gap to really prove to why we're in a good runway for where we are. And when you think about the building rate, 2007 was the last time we had an oversupply of housing. Right. And so the built up of what we've been in Delta is about 4.5 million homes that were in, in deficit since that time coming all the way to today. And some of the pieces that you've been studying, we've been studying is that the, there's so much shadow demand built up because the number of 20 to 29 year olds. Right. So, so here's another, another thing where you're, you're beating the narrative. Over 50% of 20 to 29 year olds are currently living at home as of 2020. 
And the only other two times that it's been this high was this 48% of people, 20 to 29 year olds living in a home at um, World War II and 43% in the Great Depression. So if you, if you think about why the runway for multifamily is so attractive is because even if we continue on the build pace right now, um, 2024 to 2025 will be the first years since 2017 where we may exceed the supply needed with, with number of units coming online, right? So, so it talks to why we continue to see multifamily so attractive. Right, the piece of the puzzle just continue to carry forward, and and why you've made so many great choices. You know, picking this space here, what would have been some of the aha moments, surprises, or overall just things that you know you've learned um, in multifamily in the space can be whether it can be about team members, whether it can be about just roles or the market. Uh, it's an open forum. So, what have been some of the, the biggest lessons learned? Um, I think having a team is the most important aspect of the entire journey, just um, the people that you work with, but also like boots on the ground, like having the property manager in place. Since we've like, especially in Little Rock, we went through two companies and it, we just saw the business plan not going according to the way, like not going the way it was supposed to be just because the communication was slacking on that front. And we weren't able to just like, it just delayed us a little bit. And I think that making sure that everything is running smoothly with your property manager, making sure that when you're doing like the analysis, like your numbers can just change drastically just by the lending rates or you just overestimating the the rent values. Like I think just being crystal clear on your underwriting and then sharing it with other people that are maybe working with you that they can just take another look at it because that could just ruin the entire plan. And um, something else, I think just also having different roles within the team itself is just like having someone that's investor relations, someone that's asset management acquisitions, like you don't need to do it alone. It's all something that like you can partner up with. Um, I think those have been like my biggest learning lessons. And then just understanding like the contracting asset management space. Like I think I have learned so much in the last couple of months. I couldn't believe the things that I know now. Um, it's just super important or just, I was just enjoyed running through that part of it. But yeah. What have been some of the takeaways from underwriting? For underwriting, I think it's easy to want to make the deal work because you really want the, to make the deal work and a lot of people will. And I yeah. think that being realistic and honest of like where your rents are being actually projected and how you can run a property, how much you're able to just put it to reserves. Because if something happens, if there's some sort of issue, then you don't know, you're just dipping into the different, if you don't have enough CapEx, you're dipping into the money and you're losing money for your investors. Um, I think that understanding where your taxes are going to be. So like if in four years, like in Nashville in 2025, taxes are almost going up like 40% and it's just completely screwing over the deal. And so just having a really good understanding on where that's supposed to be, calling the tax assessor's office, asking when they reassess, what is the formula that they use? If And that was been a, a big eye opener. And then also just speaking to your insurance agent on like where the property's at. So getting a good inspection to understand like maybe how much it's like, like a roof is going to cost. You don't realize how expensive those are. Um, and then, um, yeah, just getting your inspection in order and just making sure you're being realistic with your CapEx budget and then where your expenses are going to be. And that's why I think it's really important to speak to the property manager because they 
we'll usually provide like a pro forma on a similar property that they run that they could give you. And they could, you could just kind of understand like how it's run. Maybe it's, maybe you're way off, maybe you're under over or underpriced or underestimating it. So um, just like I said, speaking to your team members is what's going to get you the most accurate analysis that you could get. So don't make the deal work. Be realistic with your expectations. Understand your non-controllable expenses and what they are, what they can become. And lastly, speak with your team so you can get clear guidance on where the property actually will fall, right? And those are all simple to say, but difficult to do, right? When we're working with the mastermind, we've seen so many evolve into this, but this, there's that point where you can do little things and make any day work. Right, you 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 change a rank growth here or move a cap rate there, and all of a sudden this deal looks magical, right? So, what do you do in terms of um, of honestly looking at the project to make sure you're being conservative in nature, but not too conservative to keep yourself out of outside of doing a deal? Yeah, and something I didn't mention too is like really paying attention to the comps in the area. A lot of people overlook that, or they think that like on the offering memorandum that they can reach the comps that they have provided on there, but it's really just like a marketing manual at some point. And you really have to do your own research on that. Like maybe the, the comp that they're providing has like a tennis court and a pool and it's 300 units compared to your 40 units that just doesn't have any amenities or maybe the square footage is off. Like there you have like a thousand unit bedrooms and we have like 600. Like I think just being super clear on the comms to see if you can get the rents that you're projecting. That's another thing I wanted to add in there. Uh, but to be conservative, I would just uh, make sure that you're really in, in line with the, cap, the exit cap rate that you're looking at. I think speaking to your, uh, your, sorry, your lender to really get an accurate analysis on where the interest rates are, how long your IO term is going to be, what type of CapEx budget you're going to do, if you're going to do a loan to value or a loan to cost. Um, and then trying to think um just like your operating assumptions you don't want to be like if the rents or if the market's not warranting the rent growth of like a like four percent you just don't want to be just putting that out there for too high so i see a lot of people do like four to five percent and it's just you'd rather be more on the two percent i think scale um and then the taxes you want to understand where that's going and then just seeing where are you on the vacancy rate like is it the property that you're getting already at like, is it at 80% right now or is it 90%? You can't just go straight down to 5% on the first year. If it's at 80, you just want to be more conservative on that front. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a few of them. Yeah. The, if you are listening here and there was a lot of information just given there, a lot of fantastic information. This is recorded. We will have this back for replay. The piece on the rent comps was just a, a master dissertation on what you need to do to make sure that you're actually looking at properties properly and you're not assuming just because one can that yours will. Uh, so if you have questions, of course, put them in the chat. Um, you have a question right now from Markeem Davis. How, and how much down payment is needed for these types of deals? So we will typically put an earnest money deposit down. That's usually around 1% of the purchase price. And then we'll typically do like 70, 30. So 70 or 75, something around then finance through debt. And then the rest is raised through syndication. And then as an operator to just like, you can put money in as well to invest in the deal. But so for this, the, the down payment typically you're about anywhere between 20 to 30%, correct? On, on what you're looking for in a deal. So if it's a million dollar deal, you're typically putting around 
200 to 300 down, and then the rest is debt, and then the rest may be raised if there's additional money for construction. Uh, you may raise that, or depending on the type of project, you also may have that included within the cost of the loan there. Um, some, some key points right there as well. What are some of the other pieces of the puzzle here in terms of what you've learned about the capital raise side? Uh, I think it's important to just speak to anyone and everyone, like just let people know what you're doing. Um, and that could be posting on LinkedIn, posting on Instagram, starting to create a list that you can just, people that you don't even expect that may be interested. And just by continuing to post, continuing to get on podcasts, I think that having several phone calls set up, if that's something that they would be interested in, creating some sort of sample deal or mock deal of like, hey, this is the type of return I'm looking for. And um, maybe that's something that you'd be interested in. We might have a deal on, like later on down the line. I think having something that if you've done this before, just having some sort of credibility of like, here's a sample of what I've done. Um, but yeah, really just letting people know what you're doing, I think has been the biggest learning lesson for me is just because no one's going to invest with you if they don't know what you're doing. And that took me a little bit, a little bit of time to do just because I'm more on the shyer side, but I'm better now. So, um, when I first started, I just definitely could have, um, put it out there more. So you're talking friends and family building your network or so when you say you've been building out and letting people know you're doing, um, how, how are you cultivating this, this group of people? So friends and family is where I started. Um, and then I just wanted, I would start by posting more on LinkedIn and Facebook or whatever network you have that would be the best for people to get information from. Um, and then also just starting to get on podcasts or join meetups, go to meetup groups and let people know what you're doing there and just seeing who would be interested um, in possibly investing or partnering or something like that. Yeah. Awesome. So talk to us now about living in ten Tennessee now. Your family's st uh, still mainly back in California. So how have you found yourself now just making your role here? What has been some of the biggest pieces to just put yourself in a position, right? Because change is a big thing for a lot of people, right? They get, they get stuck in a rotation here. Here you are breaking out. You're making a lot of change. You're making a lot of uh, progress in your future. Uh, wh what are some of the goals ahead? Yeah, so I think living in Tennessee was definitely like, a shock at first, but I didn't really notice it was a shock. I'm only noticing it now because I was just, I didn't realize like what a big move that was. Like I came here not knowing anyone, but I think that it forces you to be adaptable. And I think that just embracing that discomfort and knowing that each time you go through those uncomfortable moves that you're just getting stronger and more confident because once you can achieve this smaller goal, then you can achieve any goal that comes or any challenge or goal that comes into your way. Um, I think that to not let fear paralyze you has been a big thing. Like I, I like to think that success lies on the other side of fear because that's when every time I've completed something that just absolutely scared the crap out of me is when I've been able to grow the most and just to not fear rejection as much and just take it one step at a time. Like it's okay to have like large goals, but just know that the action comes with just taking the next step. And soon that will snowball as you move forward. And I think that that was a mind sh mindset shift for me just because I was just like, I want to be here. I want to be here. But then if I'm looking back, I could just put 20 different steps ahead of me right now. Like, I can't believe I know this, this, and this, and this. So like, I think it all just comes with 
taking the action, um, educating yourself, working with the right people, and just not being afraid to fail because you're there's going to be a lot of ups and downs throughout the whole journey. Yeah. And one of the things I celebrate you for, and the biggest piece is just maintaining the focus and clarity for what you had intended to do. Right. And that that's hard for most people of any age. Um, so Cedric here has some uh, good questions talking about the little rock deal. Uh, what was the purchase price and was it syndicated? What was the raise amounts and what asset class for the property or area or what type of area it is it in? Yeah. So, okay. So this is a 36 unit uh, based in Hillcrest, Little Rock. It's a really nice area off like the main street downtown. Uh, it was 2.95 million and we were, we planned to do a syndication for it, but we actually just had one investor come in and he wanted to just fund the entire thing. And he uh, raised about 700 to $800,000 he put into it. I think it was like 795. Um, and it was, I'd say it's a 1931 build. So it's pretty old building. There's five of them, but what, they're all, so there's 18 unit, there's a six unit, a seven unit, a two and a one unit. Or three. Three, sorry. Yeah, three. Um, but it's in a good little space in Little Rock, but I'd say it's probably like a B minus C class property. Yeah, and I would agree. It's it's actually in in, in the historic neighborhood, a very um, well informed, beautiful downtown area of Little Rock in the Hillcrest area. Uh, it's astonishing. We're surrounded by seven hundred thousand to million dollar houses. Just just you know, thirty six unit that got built back in nineteen thirty one. So they're not building more of those around there. They're building old beautiful houses, right? And so. We found a gym there. It's a great project. I'm really excited to see it, you know, and you have uh, these projects, you know, they come with a lot of, um, we'll say ghosts in the, or skeletons in the closet, right? Because it's a 1931 building. So every time you open something up, you have to have the expectation there's going to be another thing to play with, right? And that, that's been this building. Um, four of the buildings were pretty easy. We're into the one main building where we knew the work's going to be and it's been work and now we're just powering through it, right? And each piece of that is the, is the next step to get us to a better and better property. And we're making some really big steps on that property, which is exciting. Uh, we had the group down there, uh, the mastermind group down there a couple of weeks ago. It was great to tour them through uh, some of the uh, active active renovations we were doing and right. And so what it's another real life showcase for people of what can be done when you put your mind to it. Uh, Rakeem has a question. How many investors uh, per syndication would you recommend and which percentage or what percentage should be offered to each investor or, or how are we determining that? So really two questions there. How many investors in the syndication would you recommend? I actually don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to pass this along to you just because I'm not sure what would be sure. like a perfect amount to have. You know, it's really going to be on the size of the raise, right? So, and, and your raise amount. Um, we're typically at a minimum of $50,000, right? And so if it's a, if it's a million dollar raise, it's about 20 investors, but you have on our average raises, our average raise amount from investor is anywhere between 75 or $80,000 on average. So when you think about that, it's really just what your minimum is. When we were first doing our first raise, um, our first raise was about 675, 700,000 years ago. Uh, we did that with a $25,000 minimum. Now we had some hundred thousands in there. We had some 50,000 in there, right? But we did that. 
Um, what we do is we try to limit it. We don't do smaller amounts from that. We want people to be comfortable that they're making an investment. We also want to um, cut down on our administrative backend, right? Because it's, it's, it's a lot of investors. If you're doing, um, you know, five, $10 million raise with 25,000 as minimums, that's just a lot of investors on the part. Um, and what percentage should be offered to each investor or how is that determined? Typically, we're splitting the deal based on the deal itself. So typically, there will be a point where the investors who are just the limited investors who just are providing the capital and we're running the deal, they're going to have about 70% to 60% of the deal for putting up the, the line share of the capital. Now, we're still putting money in ourselves, but of course, you know, we're one, two, three, four people compared to 20, 30 people. Uh, so they're putting up the line share of, of the equity. And for that point, they're holding or, or retaining about 70% to 60% of the deal with typically a waterfall or change in that equity distribution if there's a large return of capital and we hit a certain mark. So if there are capitalist returns, we may go to 50-50 or if, there, um, if we hit a certain IRR in terms of the hold, then the split may go from 70-30, 70% to them, 30% to us to 50-50. So those are really good questions. Um, so outside, outside of the 36 units, um, how many other doors do you have? Um, I'll pass this on to you right now. So, yeah. so um, recently we have been working on a 20 unit up in North Nashville where it's an old motel. We're actually turning into a short-term rental community, which has been a full heavy lift on just turning the units and getting it online, but at the 20 unit and the 36 unit. And then I just help on other properties, but yeah, those are so those big picture opinion. narrative is that we've, we've, she's now an owner on, on two very, very big, big transformation projects, which a lot of lessons are learned, but she's on our team. We've closed a 76 and 90 at 65. So uh, we did the hundred unit uh, development, the 74. So she's part of our team on that part. Her ownerships are in those two projects right now. Um, so I would say, make sure, make sure the narrative is clear is that you are doing a ton on the team right now, yeah. but the AV, right. Talk to that piece on what you're doing with the AV. It's an exciting project and you are doing, a big job in running that project, right? So, so it's it's effort over there, but you're handling a lot of the contractors. Why don't you give us a rundown on what that project was and what you're actually doing? What what have what has been some of the construction? Because I think to showcase that of just how much work has gone into this little motel there, just to turn it into this great community that's going to be here, would be really really awesome. Yeah. So this is up in North Nashville. Uh, it's about. 15 minutes into the city, it overlooks the skyline, but it's just extremely run down. So it's 20 units and then there's a diner area. It's an, or it's an old commercial space. And the entire, um, there was a lot of, there was asbestos there. was None of the electrical panels were working. So we had to just get those replaced. We're fixing out the plumbing. We're completely like taking out some of the ceilings, leveling out the floors, um, putting up like just complete, renovations on the floorboards, uh, LVP flooring, painting the walls, skimming the ceilings, uh, trimming out the electric power, fixing up all of the tiles in the bathroom and resurfacing those, doing some exterior painting, um, creating like a whole new signage. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff, but <laughs> that's some of the stuff and just being able to speak to the different contractors and really just, I think the biggest challenge has been the timeline of it because you need so many different heads in there kind of around the same time so you really have to just be 
laser focus on like where, what stage your project is going to be in and just also taking a look at just the supply chain, just because there have been a lot of delays in what we're working on, just because like our windows took like six weeks and then we found out we didn't have nine of them. And so now we're waiting another six weeks for that. So just being really focused on where your timeline's supposed to be and, and speaking with your team members, speaking to different contractors, getting different bids and prices. Um, and yeah, I think that would, there's a lot to go into. I could go into detail, but. <laughs> no, it's huge. Supply chain right now, a big problem, right? We've seen that on other properties too, whether it be on paint, flooring, you know, you name it right now. Um, the windows, they're always having a lag. We had a lag now, but it's that trust to verify, right? So we had the, we even got the window guy out there and he made a mistake, right? But it, it doesn't kill you in the project. We just keep moving forward, right? And so the other, the other narrative here is just aligning the contractors, right? If something happens, right? and a piece of the puzzle gets missed, right? The, uh, the electrical service was supposed to be on Friday. It was unfortunately not turned on. It was coming on now tomorrow, but that packed up here, our service connection team that comes in there and resurfaces the tile. That's just part of the process is that we're working on a very tight timeline. We have given there so we can be ready for our March 1st timeline, but every time one piece of the puzzle gets disrupted, all of a sudden now you have nine other pieces to have to get unraveled, right? And you've done a great job just handling those. But the, the piece of that is just one little thing that one little domino knocks it all over, right? And that's part of a run, a big construction project, which if uh, anybody remembers that, you know, the Bates Motel, right? It's kind of like we bought the Bates Motel and now it's turning into this trendy little uh, little uh, Airbnb place, which has been a ton of fun. Um, we have a hand up, Gabriel. If you if you have a question, feel free to unmute yourself, put it in the chat if that if that actually, um, or if you just yeah. take, go ahead. No, no, I had, I had a question just on that. The question that the gentleman asked about investors, some people use that term a little loosely, so I wasn't sure if he was talking about the passive investors or asking like, what's the right number of sort of GPs to have on the deal. So yeah, if, if sure. he, if he felt that was answered, that's fine. But I was just curious. Um, yeah. I was taking as a passive investor question, but, and that's a good question as well. Um, from the general partner side, it really goes in team members you need. Right. And so I've brought a deal on my own before. Right. And so just my wife and I and disindicated with, you know, our first deals and that that's a lot. Right. Because now um, really I'm lead generation, I'm due diligence, I'm asset management, I'm earnest money, I'm the sponsor, the guarantor, the capital raiser, the uh, the underwriter. Right. That's that's a lot of pieces. And when I'm doing one, I can't do the other six. And when I'm doing the other, I can't do the other six. Right. And so when you come in there, what are the strong suits? Alessandra's doing a great job. She's doing underwriting. She's doing asset management, right? But that's where we can come in. We fulfill. We, we are a team, right? And so we work. If we have other general partners, they may come in and fulfill another need. So understanding where are my strong suits, where are the pieces of the puzzle that I can provide the best value, right? So I can really be beneficial in the role. Um, now, can there be too many general partners? Yes, of course, right? However, it, it's more important that the goals align, right? That the goals align with, with, with what the general partners are doing. Um, that's really the bigger picture because uh, I've seen projects blow up before because they're just the goals are out of whack, right? And, they, and those conversations weren't had up front to understand what each each is because this is a longer term project, right? We're we're in these for years, not you know in and out like a flip within thirty to you know thirty days to one hundred twenty days. So just understanding what's the alignment of the partners is the bigger piece. Um, so Selena has asked, would you ever consider doing such a large renovation job if out of state? I think that also kind of aligns with like, if you have 
a partner in that state or a really good property management group, or you have the accessibility to just be able to go down there as much as you need to make sure everything's going according to plan. I don't think it's impossible to do. I mean, we're doing it right now in Little Rock. So um, I was, I drove there last Thursday. I'm going to go there again on Monday. So just being able to just make sure your property management is in alignment with what you want to do, but also just being able to just go and access it when you need to, to just make, to confirm that. Cause our first property management group wasn't doing that. And we didn't realize that until we went down there and saw that. Um, and then just also finding different partners that maybe in the area would be a good idea as well, but no, I don't think it's impossible. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Cedric asked, do you have a nine to five? And if so, how are you time blocking your multifamily? So I, I work with Jason Peely from nine to five or nine, four and, um, time blocking. I like to make time for myself in the morning of just like being able to work out journal, get some stuff done before then. And then, um, maybe after work, I'd like to just go on like a webinar or listen to podcasts, read a book, network with different people in the space, attend meetups. But, um, I'm pretty much surrounded with the multifamily. Yeah. All day. yeah. So Cedric, if you missed one in the beginning, she uh, transformed her journey. She was working out in California and Florida in some different capacities and decided to make a change in the course of uh, her life and her career. Right. And so she moved into the multifamily space, but what she's doing now, she's still now continuing to educate, right. The lessons going of, of what um, is actually happening out there. And I don't know if, if you lost the video, Alessandra, but those lessons learned about, you know, that you're constantly, it, where you are, but it's a moving narrative, right? When we're talking about market cycles, we're talking underwriting, like like that's all real time is today, but what's happening right now is not the same thing happening a month from now or six months ago or two years out there, right? So constantly keeping yourself in the know, constantly for her to to educate herself on, on what's happening out there and continue to network, right? And I think uh, the story has been there that You've done a great job at that. You've done a really good job. We're so proud of you. You continue to carry forward. Um, for everyone here that wants to learn more about you, your journey, or best place to connect on uh, social. Uh, yeah, I can put in the chat, but also you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then I can also put my email in the chat. I, you can find me at alessandra at yarusiholdings.com. Um, and then I have a Calendly link. If anyone wants to set up a call with me, I'd love to send it over. And I love just jumping on a call and seeing how I can help you or how we can help each other. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put, it, I'll put it over here. Awesome. Well, awesome job. You're doing so great. Excited to see where we go. And uh, we'll come back for a recap. Once we have the app up and running in a couple months, we'll have you back to talk about now the whole plan, full cycle of actually having it running as a full-time short-term rental community. So that, that'll be exciting to see uh, all those pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be great. But well, thank, you guys. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for finally agreeing to come on, right? So she's <laughs> doing so much, but that's part of it right there. So her, uh, her link's right there. Everything uh, is, of course, in the chat there. Uh, if you're listening again, um, we'll have it in the show notes as well, uh, right down there as well. Um, everyone who, who, of course, joined us today, thank you so much. Alessandra, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Everyone have a good night.